Hello. Hey there. Well, my friend, today we, me being Andy Swindler, and, and you me being Brandon McNamara, are here to talk about a recent um, situation. You you just referred to it as a scandal. I'm sure many people are privy to. And this is the one with Harvard University and Dr. Claudine Gay. And we're, we're asking the question today, was Claudine Gay taken down by racism? I think it's a nice, succinct way to say it. I think hopefully anyone listening has at least glancingly heard about how this unfolded in lightning uh, brief fashion. Dr. Claudine Gay was the first uh, black woman, maybe even first black person in general, uh, to be, uh, uh, what's the word, elected, hired as the president of Harvard. Uh, it was a notable thing. Uh, I don't know what sort of tete-a-tete -tete it fostered um, upon her um, election to that position. Mm -hmm. I heard, I've heard none about it. So for me, that that is absent from my understanding. But she, uh, along with the presidents of UPenn and MIT, uh, came under fire during congressional hearings about anti-Semitism on college campuses. Uh, that led to me knowing who she was. Within a few days of that hearing, where essentially the big, like, big problem, quote unquote, was when all three uh, heads of these universities essentially, quote unquote, refused to condemn genocide, which I feel like is a slightly improper phrasing of it, but that's how it was phrased, uh, where they were asked whether uh, literal calls for genocide against Jewish people would violate the, the, the sort of speech paradigms, the sort of speech rules they had in place at their university, at which point they said, essentially, no, um, also adding sort of it would depend on the context, which from an absolute perspective actually made perfect sense to me. I don't really understand, but uh, it seemed at the time people were sort of like, hold on a second. What do you mean? Like you won't, you wouldn't punish anyone for saying that all Jews should be killed. Like that's crazy. Now, of course, that makes sense to me too. Both of those, both the responses, no big deal or, oh my gosh, that's terrible anti-Semitism. Both made sense. Uh, within a week or less, the president of UPenn, uh, McGill, Dr. McGill, uh, was fired slash resigned. I mean, you know, in this sort of imbroglio, we, we all know what happened. Uh, she had to step aside. Um, uh, she is a white woman, just for context. And then I would say perhaps almost a month later, Dr. Claudine Gay, uh, head of uh, president of Harvard, uh, resigned or and or was asked to step out of that position um, into another position, mind you. She's She's doing fine. She's still a professor uh, making a little under $1 million a year. Um, so, I'm, and it's, I'm glad she's fine. I, I don't know what she did, certainly in that hearing that would warrant uh, exclusion from academia. So, but what unfolded as people, I think, were like, wait, all these people should be got. Uh, then accusations of uh, plagiarism came out about Dr. Claudine Gay, uh, which started with one or two, ended up in dozens. I think there was, by the end, there was somewhere between 40 and 60 citations, uh, accusation of plagiarism. Um, and throughout all that came an analysis and a suggestion that the reason her hiring was so trumpeted, and especially in light of her slimness of publishing uh, and these extensive plagiarism uh, accusations, uh, 
uh, that she was, I think some people full on said that she was quote unquote, quite obviously a diversity hire. And there's here is DEI in action, that sort of thing. So pretty much as this maelstrom of trying to get these women continued, somehow the president of MIT, by the way, skated through this just like, like no problem. Um, all of this just whirlwinded around uh, Claudine Gay so that well over almost a month later, I think um, she uh, was let go. But a lot of the response post hoc was uh, in defense of her was this was all and I'm, again, I'm summarizing poorly or broadly. Uh, this was all a racist plot to get rid of this black woman. And this is, see, this is the world that black women have to face where they have to be perfect um, to get anything was kind of the, again, I'm painting very broad strokes just so people kind of recall uh, this. This isn't that uh, far in our rearview mirror, but the way the news cycle moves on could have been four years ago for as far as, far as we know. Um, so... Someone one piece of context uh, that may be valuable in terms of that actual, what she said in the hearing. Yeah. It depended on the context yeah. of, of the, of the hate speech or what, or any speech adding that when quote speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, let me just say again, I, at the time I was like, I don't actually think there's anything technically wrong with what she said. I don't think she handled the questioning well. I think, and I think in context, what really makes it inflammatory is Harvard's very poor record <laughs> on allowing speech. So um, it's the worst. It's literally the worst university like in the country, according to FIRE, who is, I don't know, our best approximator of free speech on campuses. Whatever, the University of Chicago, I think, nearby where you are, is the is the best for free speech. And the uh, and Harvard is literally was the worst last year. So it's it was weird, I think, for them to be like, well, wait a second. There's been a lot of, there's been multiple two or three incidents over the past number of, like, decade, uh, not all under Claudine Gay's watch, um, but previous as well, um, policing speech. So it seemed very strange. They were like, well... You know, speech is speech, kind of like seeming like they were into free speech. Like speech is speech, and you're allowed to say all sorts of crazy things. Um, I think advocating for mass murder is pretty threatening, personally. But uh, especially if you're saying it to someone who is Jewish or nearby someone who is Jewish, then they would feel I I would say threatened. If you're like, oh yeah, all of you should be killed. Um, I, I'm open to that being allowed. Uh, but yeah, technically, I don't think really she said anything like ethically wrong. You know. And I actually thought the fear of her has to do with a subject we won't talk about today, but the third rail, you know, the third rail in this country is not talking about race. The third rail is talking about Jewish people. <laughs> and anti-Semitism oh. seems like for whatever reason, it is the, it is the, I wouldn't even call it hate, but like the antagonism that seems like the most, the most effective results wise. Like you can hate on pretty much everybody else actively harvard has done it quite openly um but when you when you talk smack or don't feel like you're protecting jewish people people get pretty upset probably has a little something to do with the old uh kerfuffle that was the holocaust um but nonetheless that is the circumstance we find ourselves in yeah which is certainly related to America's unwavering, well, 
at our at our highest political levels, our unwavering support of of Israel and the war, yeah, uh, against Hamas. But I also really want to. I feel like that's the headline, but I feel like it's very much against Palestine in the context of the destruction of Gaza right now. But we've we've already had an episode about that, and so we don't need to dip into that unless you want to respond. No, not necessarily. No, no, no. I just think there, there is th that context is enormous here. And I just, I don't know if we'll fully address it, but there are elements of that that would relate to what some people would call race, which would color an entire different strain of this conversation. Uh, but I think the the much of the discussion centered around um, racism against Black people being like uh, a primary motivation or a primary uh, theme throughout these denigrations or examinations of uh dr claudine gay's uh, record yeah. however i found them spirit i found them wildly spurious um but i thought since again it, it, it turned into an assault on dei which is something you've been explicitly involved in and a, a proponent of in various various forms i thought it would be something interesting for us to talk about um as we may have if, if not different vantage points we probably have somewhat similar vantage points in many ways but um perhaps within the field of our social networks, uh, literal and figurative, um, that, or <laughs> literal and virtual, we might be experiencing like very different uh, takes and very different um, swaths of information dispersal. Yeah, and I, I think it's uh, in, what our, in what access I have in within the DEI communities, um, it, it, in a healthy way, I think it is actually forcing a lot of DEI folks to reconcile that anti-Semitism isn't necessarily a, a very um, active or, I mean, you could say, yeah, of course, you could kind of couch it in. Well, of course, we're, we're all we're against all discrimination, but sure, a, lot sure. of, a lot of the point, you know, we might name, we name actually quite often anti-racism as a very specific. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you would think logically anti-racism would fit into like general anti-discrimination or even just the broader concept like love. Yeah, yeah. And yet we need to name things to, to get more specific um, or it can be helpful. And and yeah. I, in my experience and lots of DEI trainings and all kinds of stuff uh, here in America, yeah, race is incredibly prevalent. Um Gosh, if I were to rate them, you know, going back around like the the wheel, the intersectionality wheel, it's like religion. Yeah, yeah. The religion in general is pretty far down, um, and then anti-Semitism anti it flares up, right? I mean, it, it's just yeah. when it's when it's kind of in the headlines, and we get reports of of Jewish people being attacked on the street and whatnot, which of course is horrific, uh, as as with any attack. Um, that's when we seem to pay attention. So I yes. I, I do get that appeal here as well uh fr from the hey <laughs> pay attention to us um and then of course in the greater context of what's happening between israel and palestine yeah i mean that makes it all pretty i think that's honestly what made it very active or whatever but i was very curious to examine the arguments for how this could have been perceived as racist and then andy you shared with me um an article via linkedin um, it's not even like it's a wild, like a viral article, but I thought it was an article that presented arguments I'd seen in miniature in like the longest, it was just like a long essay uh, by someone who actually got their doctorate, uh, a black man who got his doctorate at Harvard um, in the 90s. 
and wrote a piece that I thought like presented the general argument I've been hearing about these attacks potentially theoretically being racist. Um, he laid it out the most comprehensively I'd seen anyone do it. Like even in the Atlantic or the New Yorker or what, you know what I mean? Whatever. Um, it was a very, uh, it was an extended treatise uh, sort of attempting to draw in both um, journalistic coverage as well as personal experience, anecdotal experience, lived experience. Um, and so Andy, you shared that with me. And then I do a thing that I occasionally do. I think I've done at least four or five times uh, where I do, I think it's a little bit of a blitzkrieg where I was like, oh man, I like found a first thing that I was like, mm, wait a second, that's not true. And then I did that for, I don't know, I think it got up to between two little threads, somewhere in the 70 comment zone. So eventually it was like, I don't know if we're ever going to get through this. So let's just do an episode about it. <laughs> yeah. And total disclosure, as you know, I, I still haven't actually caught up with every single comment. Um, I have freed myself of the of the responsibility to read everything you send. Although I wish I could. Maybe I'll get a little AI bot to summarize it for me. <laughs> there you go. Like, like, I am AI your bot. AI bot. I already summarized it for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is a summary. I need a summary of a summary. Uh, but one of the reasons I wanted to do it was, you know, we, I, I don't know if this is obvious, we we try to alternate questions. Um, you know, oh, yeah. something one of us may know more about or is, or is really deeply curious about or, or even troubled by. Um, and and then part of our journeying together is, is well, I mean, the core of it is curiosity and learning together. Um but then for th this one, for me, I just hadn't found myself knowing enough about it, really. So, you know, I'm coming here not not with sort of a, a vast uh, array of knowledge or having read 20 articles about this, but still very much in in the exploration and the curiosity. So I appreciate. Um, and and then part of this context that's important is this article that was posted on LinkedIn, putting the racist crusade against Harvard's Dr. Claudine Gay in context was written by somebody I know, uh, at least an acquaintance, maybe a colleague heading towards friend, who knows, Al Tillery, uh, somebody I really do respect in the DEI field. And um, I, yeah, I'm gonna be vulnerable here. You know, I realized I liked this um, before reading it. And that's probably a bad habit. Um, and, it, and it expresses a bias, I wanna admit here, which may be obvious, but you know, when I know somebody I'm, I'm so relational uh, that I yeah. that that bias can I think sometimes overshadow. Um, I, I don't know the rigor of, of even reading the full piece or 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 maybe critiquing it in the way you do. So I am grateful for your critique, and we're, I I don't know if it's going to be the whole episode. I think we wanted to zoom out a little at the end, but a lot of this episode really is just going to be walking through this article because, as you said, it seems to represent a lot of the arguments. Um, and, yeah, he, yeah, he is not alone in making the arguments he's making, I, as far as I've seen. Um, again, as your as your personal uh, Bren GBT. <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, doc, Dr. Tillery, man, he's a social scientist, a DEI consultant, keynotes, keynote speaker. Um, I, I think more, you know, whatever, it has uh, almost 250 likes or over 250 likes, 73 comments. And listen, that's not intensely viral. And I don't say that to discredit the man. I say that because like the piece is super long. And I, I'm telling you, most people don't read full articles. You know what I mean? Some people get through like a page or two and they're like, okay, okay, come on. I, I get it. I get it. I'm I'm a nerd. And um, so I I like read the whole thing. And then once I got excited, once once you start finding little pieces, threads to pull, 
You know what I mean? It's almost like, it's like ASMR, rational ASMR. You just like love the feeling of pulling the thread out and the sound that as you pull each thread and you're like, this sweater's falling apart. And so that always gets me very excited because then it's almost like the hunting instinct takes over. Um, and I don't, and I don't know the band um, and I have nothing against him personally at all. And I, I think there's two cool points out of the way you, what you were talking about. Maybe. A, I think it's important. I'm going to say this to myself and to other people, just because someone likes something. And I know people have gotten in trouble and lost jobs because they liked posts on Twitter or whatever. Just because someone likes, clicks like on something, you don't know what they like about that. They may like that someone said it. They may disagree with it entirely. Uh, people on Twitter do this all the time. Like a retweet doesn't equal endorsement. Um, just to let people know. And that's a full on like, I'm sharing this on my in my field, right? And I'm putting this up on my wall. Literally just clicking like, uh, Andy knows this man. And so of course, when he liked it, my question wasn't, Andy, what's wrong with you? My question was, because I love Andy and I know Andy, I was like, Andy, why did you like this? That should be the only question you have. In which case, if he knows this man and he just published, he wrote this, this is a big essay, man. This took him, I would assume, hours, hours out of his life to go, I need to summarize this because A, he probably wanted to process this and he felt like he could help be helpful in processing it for others through his perspective, through his lens. So you can like something just because you are you have a friend or a colleague and you're like, hey, I'm proud of you for putting fingers to type it. I was going to say pen to paper. You know what I mean? Putting pen to paper and finishing a thing and then publishing it. I know how hard it is to get things out of my notes folder onto the internet or even anywhere else than in a flipping notes folder. So anyway, I just want to say that to everyone out there, whoever gets animated because you see someone, someone likes something, you don't know why. And if you if you are irate about it, just go talk to that person. Let's go have go have a conversation. And maybe honestly, it might be it might be a darn good reason. Could just be like, hey, that's my brother-in-law. I like everything he puts up because we have a bad relationship. You know what I mean? We, we have no idea why people like things. Number two, uh, any analysis of his uh, of his writing. I'm I'm I did a personality test like a month ago or whatever. Jordan Peterson one. You like pay for it and everything, and uh, discovered not surprisingly, I am extraordinarily low in politeness. Doesn't even factor into the, the who I am, what I'm thinking about. I don't. Well, I'm glad it's official. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Listen, I'm. I'm kind and and open and conscientious and all these things, right? I'm compassionate, all those things, but I'm not polite. I was like, I don't. I just, I, my whole life really, I have not really seen that much utility in it. Obviously I'm way on a, on a, on a, <laughs> on a side. I'm off to the side. I'm in, I'm in the extremes of that particular position. Um, so, but since that, I'm always willing to just go, oh, let's get into the fray. And I'm also, since I don't, I'm not particularly polite. I don't care about other people being that polite to me either. So if I ever express ideas and I analyze or disagree with any ideas Dr. Tillery has placed forth, it in no way is impugning his character. At most, it would be impugning his ability to ration, to reason clearly on this particular subject. That's all it would address. It wouldn't even, it wouldn't even be a broad schematic as to his ability to reason. It was just like, oh, some people get caught in cognitive dissonance. I, I don't know. I, 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 I wouldn't even, I'm an actor. I could maybe, if I had to play him, I'd have to figure something out, but I'm not acting him so all i have to know is that oh that's that's all i have the problem with my problems with the ideas are not problems with him or um whatever assassinations of his character i just think it's an important thing for people to hear and people think to know generally that i you you are, you are not your ideas well and it's germane to this topic today yes because that's part of the question um or the, or the accusation yeah that, that uh, Dr. Gay's 
character was attacked. Yes. Uh, and then her, her personhood was attacked for being a black woman, um, whether explicitly or implicitly through this whole process. Well, yeah, especially when it, I mean, I think the big reason it came after DEI had, DEI had little to do with her and actually had quite a bit to do with people sort of discovering that Jewish people weren't kind of included in the marginalized cohort. And then people were like, well, wait a second. Now, I don't know how many decades behind academia they are that this is, they're just realizing this or whatever, but I think they thought, well, no, they certainly are marginalized, like just by virtue of population or whatever, like they're a teeny, they're a teeny group. I think the big problem, honestly, with Jewish people is just the fact that Jewish is both a designation of ethnicity and religion, very specifically, and that actually makes it extremely difficult to categorize. However, I think people were so shocked that they were kind of like, wait, this whole DEI thing sounds messed up then. If they're not in there, then that's that's not right. You know what I mean? And that, But it did also come across uh, onto, like, and here's the other problem is they obviously nominated this Black woman who wasn't qualified. Now, just because she's a plagiarist, she could have plagiarized everything she ever wrote and still be qualified for her position. She could be like, this could be like one of those movies, right? Where the guy like is running away from the cops and he slides into the office and they mistake him for someone else. He ends up, you know, leading the team to the national championship or whatever. You can be phenomenally qualified for a job while also being seemingly unqualified. I believe in that. I know it's just, that's how movies are written and that's maybe not real life, Brendan. But she could be a, a plagiarist and literally her publishing history could be absolute dribble. And she could be an excellent motivator of people organizer of people, uh, recognizer of talent. Uh, she could be a, func a highly functional bureaucrat. Like all these things could, could also, could also uh, true, uh, be true. Um, so my, 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 my presage uh, opinion is that it was not a racist incident. And that's looking at it as a, as some sort of univariate motivation for a, for a multivariate proposition. And then to say that she was a DEI hire could be absolutely true without a, sh a shade of, of racism involved. There's just like, oh yeah, she was elevated because marginalized people are recognized as those who need elevation. And so they trumpeted her as the first. As soon as you trumpet someone as the first black something, you're kind of entering a, a bit of a quagmire territory for most people. Because you're like, okay, well, okay, I know that kind of matters, but that really shouldn't matter. We shouldn't like... Let's not talk about like, cause then it makes it seem like she got the job for that reason. Let's just talk about her being excellent. Like let's, she's the best person of the job, period. The fact she's black is also just cool. It's great. Isn't that good? That good. Look, look at the talent we're fostering here on our in Havid. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I it's think that's what Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, anytime we break a glass ceiling, so to speak, or make history, I think that's sort of notable. And at the same time, yeah, that's a conundrum if, if it, if it then locks that entire thing into that narrative. Yeah, it kind of brands it. Uh, the New York <laughs> Times, uh, the uh, Academy Awards were just announced today. And the New York Times ran, ran multiple headlines and put them out on social media or whatever about the firsts of, uh, you know, the first Native American woman uh, nominated for acting, the first openly gay man playing an openly gay character was nominated. You know what I mean? So like there are certain sectors of society, they're pretty identity obsessed. Now, for me, that so for them, you're like, oh, this is like representation. It's something super important to them. But there is plenty of people in the world who like, I don't, uh, maybe sure. I mean, it's, uh, I can see how that could be cool and helpful, but how is that the first thing? And then how is that helpful to that person when you're like, ooh, these, you fit these boxes that are cool right. to us. You're like, no, it's just this person is flipping awesome. This person's awesome. And later you can be like, oh, that's cool. So it's just strange as a verse response. But I think that's a lot of the tension 
that this article brings out and I think is brought out by this whole experience or this whole scandal. Yeah, and I wanted to, I mean, I mean, two pieces <laughs> as we gradually drift down into the actual article. I, in, in preparing for this, I, I realized, I think, as far as I can tell, that there, um, I think maybe just this week, there, there was some more information revealed around the actual plagiarism process, like the actual yeah. investigation that Harvard did. And yeah. as far as I could tell, reading a couple articles, it it doesn't seem very strong, like a very strong case of plagiarism. Mm -hmm. Is that your assessment at this point? Um, I mean, I it's nothing I would like worry about, but I don't really worry about academic writing in that sense. I think a lot of academic writing is essentially plagiaristic. I guess it's all about citation. It's I okay. Let me just say it this way: I think academic writing is kind of let me say it crudely. I think it's kind of stupid. So, I think the idea of just being like so many academic articles I've read, especially in this sort of like social science realm that she deals in, um, is talking about what other people said. It's like a form of like academic journalism, and then you sort of try to synthesize what other people have said too. But it is so much like. It's just this weird collection of like what other people think about things. And I found this annoying too when I was in high school, grade school, high school, college. Like I was like, there's this desire for us to just like regurgitate other people's perspectives when I'm much more interested in someone's like unique perspective and whether it coincides with somebody else's cool, interesting, I'm, I'm sure. And whatever motivated you to think this was maybe from there. And that's great. Um, the... The citations were, that have seen the side-by-sides, were extensive enough and that there were multiple publications. Um, and they weren't even, there was multiple works that weren't cited in either quotes, even though they were quotes and she used like very specific uh, dense language that someone else said. Now, I don't write in that field, so maybe that dense language is actually kind of boilerplate. But it was, there was lots of regurgitations of other people's things in multiple paragraphs in her in her doctorate and then in other couple other publications. Um, so it certainly was plagiarism in, by any traditional definition, just like we talked about insurrection. It absolutely was plagiaristic. Like she absolutely took other people's stuff and didn't credit them. And you can even do like citations at the end of academic writings where you're sort of like, these people informed things, like I should address them. Like this happened, uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorish um, in a book he published, uh, people were like, he plagiarized from this and this, and he didn't credit the people that he was accused of plagiarizing from, but he credited, uh, the sources that those people referenced. And this is, you can see the problem with academic writing, right? So if someone essentially quotes and synthesizes someone else's information and you quote the synthesis of that other person's information, then it's just like, okay, so wait, you have to credit Jeff Buckley when you do a cover of Hallelujah? <laughs> even though it's a Leonard Cohen song, you know, or yeah, he, John Cohen. I've scrutinized this, but yeah, he changed like two words. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So if it goes from Kale to Cohen and Buckley, it's like, well, you didn't credit Buckley there, but right. no, I just credited Cohen because that's really what I was talking about. You're like, mm, but you used Buckley's phrasing, in which case, you know, I don't, so I don't know. Um, but in her case, she didn't credit some of these people. And some of the people have come out and been like, hey, yeah, you plagiarized me. Why does no one care about this? Um, she doesn't seem like a massively publishing person. She didn't like publish a ton though. So I don't actually think this is a huge part of her career or her, her success. 
Um, I think it's just a notable thing. She violated the premises of plagiarism, absolutely. And then she certainly violated the premises of plagiarism as uh, is put upon Harvard students. Like if, Har if Harvard students had done this and got caught in it, they would have their, you know, they could easily have their doctorate denied or whatever. Um, or have their graduate thesis, they have to start over on their graduate thesis or, you know, they have to go into revision in the very least. Um, so I think that's where the, the major imbroglio happened with it. But maybe that has to do with, I just don't care that much about plagiarism. Yeah, I want to address my my bias or even and maybe an assumption generally wading into this zone. Um, I noticed even without, it's actually one interesting thing about me not researching like you do ferociously at the beginning of the thing. Yeah. Is like, I have a little space to like sort of check my biases based on sort of just the pieces that are floating through. Yeah, there's so many pieces too. And and I I did notice my my initial bias or reaction was was like, oh, this is probably bullshit. Like like oh interesting. And yeah. so I'm I'm I do share a little piece of that, whether it's you know, yeah. rejecting my dad as a professor or you know I wasn't the best student in the world. Like I don't have the most respect for academia as it is. And <laughs> this it's weird to defend yeah, like <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Al, Al in the article kind of generally speaks a bit to like the general challenges with with institutions. Um, although I know you have some different opinions about some of those, but um, anyway, so maybe it's enough to say like neither of us seem direly concerned about like plagiarism in the first place when it comes to academic writing because it's like okay, you know. No, and I don't listen for academics. I understand why you care about it. It's you make your career on how you synthesize ideas. So if right. someone takes your synthesis that you find is particularly unique. Um, then that's like, you know, that would set you on fire. Um, so, you know, I can be, I more be germane, irritated about it. Yeah. But what's more germane than than our random opinions is, to your point, like what what are the standards of this institution that, you know, and, and Al addresses that too, like the times have changed, technology has changed. Hey, that's yeah. relevant. Um, yeah. I, when you first said that, I was like imagining her like on a typewriter. I'm like, okay, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah. But still, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so, you know that's probably a that's probably just maybe that's even a slightly distracting kind of vein to 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 mine at this to point. mine yeah yeah just yeah. just because it's like okay neither of us are even particularly immersed or qualified to to speak to that but no I've seen the side by sides and some of them are dead it absolutely happened now did were all sixty accurate I, I probably not I've seen dozens that were certainly like oh yeah this is for real in which case so it happened there's smoke there's fire again I don't think it matters that much. But it did happen. So I think, and for a while, there was sort of a denial. I just sent you a couple AP articles from like a month apart where they were like, uh, conservatives' new weapon, plagiarism. And then a month later, they were like, uh, talking about how the accusations of plagiarism have been founded or whatever. You know what I mean? It was, so it was like, okay, so AP is engaged in this sort of like trying to foster a culture war over it. And you know me in general, I think this like people are constantly trying to foster culture wars. And I think they're, they're mostly pretty, mostly um, spurious. And it's not anything we need to be running down. Um, well, and it's interesting in the first paragraph of, of the article. Um, well, this this seems worth re, re, like actually quoting because. Yeah. 
you know, Dr. Claudine Gley, the first black woman to lead Harvard in its 387 year history, resigned in the face of charges that she did not do enough to combat anti-Semitism on campus and that she committed plagiarism in some of her academic writings. So those are the two. And then yes. in like the next, I don't know, two sentences from there or three, um, he's he's kind of setting his own context scenes. Like, like so many women, BIPOC, which means black yes. and indigenous and people of color and LGBTQ executives that I encounter in my consulting work, et cetera, et cetera. I'm saying that because even in that, that in, a, in and of itself, I think illustrates how how Jews are left out of the marginalized groups. They're, you know, women is its own yep. class. That's obviously, hopefully obvious. The other two are these acronyms that have evolved over time and kind of kind of added groups yeah. to them that yeah. sort of seem related. And there's a billion challenges about being all lumped together and like. Oh we, my gosh. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think we've talked yeah. about it. We can't. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I would say devolved. They've devolved over time. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. certainly just gotten watered down. You know, it's like, oh, let's just like, what's the balance between sort of, yeah, even even having a meaningful group of identities anymore <laughs> to talk about when or versus expanding it so much. Um, yeah. Anyway, whatever you want to say, I don't see Jews represented in any of those in any way, unless it's like a a, a, a female Jew. I'll give or yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Well, I should, I should I should be careful if it's a. I'm not talking about intersectional identity of course a jew could also have some of these other identities but just yes they're, yes. they're not directly mentioned or related to any of these no no they're not really they would not be naturally included um unless they're just you know dark you know some of the palestinian palestinian jews um palestinian israel well, as much as israeli or jews i mean that's this is why it's a confusing category generally in which case you would just leave it out because it's confusing and while well, he sums that whole thing up and he says and this is where i was like hold on a second this is my first hold on a second he said in short Dr. Gay was left all alone to fight out the most vicious attacks against her credentials and personhood. So that to me was fascinating. And I've heard this time and time again. And so this is what started me like sending you 70 something texts was, okay, this is false. He said she was left all alone, right? First of all, he says there's most, the most vicious attacks. Now, oh, he just means the most vicious attacks amongst the attacks against her credentials that absolutely happened and personhood i never saw a single attack against her personhood never seen one before since to this day so that to me was pure invention and then he said um she was left all alone so here's a here's facts that we know or at least uh, i should say reported facts as we know facts quote unquote uh dr gay had harvard lawyers threatening the new york post uh, about publishing and saying they if they published they could face legal action um, she had 500 faculty, faculty members write a supporting, like a letter of support for her. Um, and then, uh, so, um, also the New York times, uh, invented a new term. I tried to find it anywhere. The New York times pub, when they said, uh, here, it's a headline that said Harvard finds more instances of quote, duplicative language in president's work. Duplicative language, as far as I can tell, and I'm a semantic nerd, I went looking, trying to find use of it anywhere. It is absent. Now, of course, we know what that means. And it's actually, I think it's a, I think it's a very pleasant phrase. It flows trippingly off the tongue. Duplicative language. It sounds nice. Um, but New York Times has never used that before. It means plagiarism. But they avoided using plagiarism, which is a very specific reporting maneuver. You can't, you can't say that there isn't some likelihood of bias or, or desire to protect her for whatever reason. Again, 
there was the New York Times was involved with saying this is like a conservatives plot. By the way, this was a plot by people who are sometimes associated with conservative movement who they were like, let's get rid of this lady. They said it out in the open. I'm not denying that at all. However, that's the New York Times on her side. That's 500 staff members on her side. And that's Harvard lawyers on her side. So saying she was left in short, she was left all alone is. I was that was the first time I was like, wait a second, Andy. This is why I was like, wait, why did you like this? I was like, this is patently false. Like 500 plus lawyers, let's say 512, plus some members of the New York Times, let's just say six, maybe the six people there out of the hundreds of people who work there. So 512, 15, 516 people were openly on her side. So in what flipping world was she on her own? There's no world. So that's to me where I was like, oh, okay, hold on a second. Why don't you be open to the argument generally? Oh, bypassing the bias that I thought using BIPOC or LGBT kind of indicates. I was like, wait a second, that is objectively false. Like there's no measure by which one could say all alone with that many people on your side. That would be like saying Trump is fighting his charges all alone. You know what I mean? You're like, what are you talking about? Like tons of people like have his back and he has lawyers and he's fans. And she had obviously online, I would say tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people being like, leave her alone, you monsters, you racist monsters. So that's when I started to go, okay, wait a second. That to me is, you know, this this is the, that's like the smell of meat, the smell of blood in the water. I was like, hold on a second. This might be a doozy. But how do you feel about that? That was just like the first, the first volley. Would you can, would you agree? Like, per, again, that's my question to you too, as always is like, wait, is my reasoning solid here or am I functioning in my own bias? Like, yeah, that, that, that one seems pretty clear to me. Um, yeah. I, I don't, even if, even if none of that were true, at that at the level she's operating like you clearly have a staff and uh, so i i don't know i don't know yeah there's anyway i, I don't maybe it's a dangerous road to try to guess why al sort of did certain things he's, oh yeah i have no idea i read him as heated in this uh oh, in, in most language yeah. and yes yeah. under i would say understandably so from my point of view um but anyway to yeah. be simple about it yeah, move, yeah, yeah. Moving, I'm, I'm saying yes. That's that was a okay. Strange. So that makes sense. Okay, that's this is always helpful to me because I'm like, okay, good. I don't, I don't. Yeah, anytime I like reject somebody else's argument, I want to make sure I'm not just making another crappy argument. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that happens a lot out there in the world. People just say a terrible thing, and someone says another terrible thing to them, and then everyone feels like they're right, and nobody's right. Um, I wonder if yeah. was his comment more about the rest of the university administration. I mean, you mentioned, well, you, you mentioned there's 500 faculty members. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she didn't go down. Let's. She didn't get taken down for like a month or so. So to me, I'm just like, well, they fought way harder for this black woman than they fought for that white lady. Mm -hmm. I mean, that white lady went down in like five days. I mean, at this point, I think people tabulated it was somewhere around a billion dollars in donor, in, in donations to Harvard that were being like withheld unless... Claudine Gay was relieved. I mean, I, as much as it might be ideological about all these other things, billion dollars on the table, it it could just all be about the money. I mean, to me, that is the most tenable thesis. It has nothing to do with racism. It's just it's like people got mad, didn't like what she said, and we're in that sort of world right now where it's like, I don't like what you said. I don't like. I don't like this at all. You gotta go. I mean, it's can't flipping cancel culture, right? And that could be a mixture. I, I, sure. Oh, I absolutely. Mean, I, I guess I would assume there are racist donors at Harvard for a variety of reasons. Oh, probably. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe, look, I mean, that's the, 
probably the trigger point here. And I think maybe even part of Al's argument is just that there's this underlying uh, current or or desire to get rid of somebody that we that we could say is rooted in racism, and 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 so there's just extra pressure. It's like, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I, not to drift too far off, but I mean, I remember this having this conversation when Obama was president that he he had to toe the line uh, and walk a tightrope more than maybe another maybe another president in terms. Maybe of I don't know, but like it's funny as much blowback as he faced, I didn't. To me, it pales in comparison to what Trump has faced out in the open in terms of people talking on the street, uh, people talking in newspapers. I was like, I've never seen anything like that, like punky white dude faced. So then hmm. I, I just don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think there are racists who hate Trump and there are racists who hate Obama. Those people absolutely exist. I would never deny that that's like, that's impossible. There are no people racist against those men. You know what I mean? I think they absolutely yeah. exist and they've revealed themselves. And that's and I I condemn it, and it is not allowed on my campus. Well, and it relates to another assumption I carry more more broadly, which is this phrase I've heard a number of black friends uh, utter that black people in America work twice as hard for half as much. Yeah, which is fascinating. Um, it's a fascinating claim. It's like the Ginger Rogers thing, right? Uh, uh, she used to say, "She's like." I did everything Fred Astaire did, only backwards and in high heels. <laughs> no, she would literally, you know, she we can point to video evidence of that and that she did literally do those dance moves in, in high heels and backwards because he was leading. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's a fascinating, but that's a fascinating assessment. And then you would have to ascertain whether it was true. And then if it's not true, it still can have functional effect if you believe it's true. And therefore you're carrying yourself as though it's true. And in this case, this is one of these great things where it was like, hey, if she was this crummy as an academic and she still got to be president, in some ways you're like, again, this is one of those signposts that things must be going well racially if you're hiring like like relatively crummy academics. I think, yeah, I think I think yeah. I think we brought that up. This this idea yeah. that when everybody gets to be mediocre, then then <laughs> we've sort of achieved something. Now, I'm, and I want to be yeah. careful because I'm not suggesting she's mediocre. No. But I also want to tag this because, oh, that could be, that maybe that's a question for another episode. Are Black people in America, or do Black people in America work twice as much, twice as hard for half as much? I can spit it out. Yeah. Uh, but in Al's article, I mean, he, he has this whole chart of publications and says that Dr. Gay yeah. was number three in total number of publications, number Two actually in citations uh, of those of those publications at time of appointment. Um, yeah. So are you if are you just relating to plagiarism as a knock on her academic? Career? Yes. Well, and the thing I sent you too that there were other um, Harvard professors who were up for this position uh, who were far more had far more citations. I mean, like 64 publications and gotcha. there are hundreds of citations, other, other black women as well. So it's not, has nothing mm -hmm. to do with, it's not a racial thing. This okay. is what a lot of people highlighted, but uh, one of the, I'll, I'll find her name at some point. Um, but she was like, she was kind of more cons quote unquote conservative leaning. Um, and we know Harvard is not diverse in that realm or academia presently is actually phenomenally non-diverse in that realm. Um, so that was, no, it was really just in, in relative. But again, I don't know, this woman with massive citations could be a total, she could be a total nerd, Andy. She oh, God. Nerd. And and I'm saying Dr. Gay might be a 
and we've seen this time and again, whatever, uh, this is like the Malcolm Gladwell outliers thing, right? You can have wildly proficient people, but someone is more charismatic. And you know what? The charisma wins, even if they're slightly less qualified. So, I mean, listen, there's a, there's a, there's a charisma and height and symmetry uh, bias. There's an affirmative action that's gone on throughout human history in those categories that you're just like, I don't think there's anything to be done about those. I mean, you'd literally have to start hard. They'd be like, look at rating people's ugly symmetry and ugliness and lack of charisma. And be like, we got to hire some more charismaless people. So maybe, listen again, maybe Dr. Gay is actually great at her job. I have no idea. Did she plagiarize as, a, as an academic? Yes. Is that relevant to being a, a Harvard president? I literally have no idea. I don't know. I'm assuming not, honestly. That would be my, that's my bias. Um, oh, yes, yeah, so right. let's move on. Let's so yeah, the next thing I jumped into, this is, and I'll, you can highlight arguments you like, and I'll just highlight the ones that I was like, wait a second. Um, he then, he was like, oh, uh, Representative Elise Stefanik. Now, she was the congressperson um, who, or the representative, uh, sorry, who um, was sort of putting them to the, putting the presidents to the, to the grill. She was kind of grilling them about this genocide thing. And she was the one who sort of got them. Um, SNL did an absolutely tone deaf, like opening, like sketch where somehow she was the bad guy trying to like. It was very, it was fascinating. Anyway, it was terrible. Uh, he says, Representative Elise Stefanik, Republican New York, totally uh, legitimate, um, an election denying supporter of Donald Trump turned the moment to her baseless hypothetical. A, that's an ad hominem. Uh, B, that's a virtue, that's like a, a tribal signifier to be like an election denying uh, supporter of Donald Trump. Now, would someone say that about, um, about Stacey Abrams? She was an elected. She denied her election, right? She denied that the the when she lost. Would someone say, "Oh, she's an electing, uh, she's an election denying supporter of Joe Biden," and be like, "Oh yeah, get who who would you say that to in any good faith fashion?" Nobody. Like if you wrote that about Stacey Abrams, you would be trying to signify to like anti Democrat people that that means she's she's really not worth it. Now, am I assuming intent here? Yes, I am. But I I'm, I have a hard time as a reader. To assume that's anything other than it than an attempt to like impugn her, it's to me it's a it's a subtle version of an ad hominem, but that's a rational, that's a a rational uh, that's a logical fallacy. Um, and then he said, turn the moment to her baseless hypothetical. Her hypothetical wasn't baseless. Like we were we were literally a week or so after there had been pro Palestine protests in which phrases, especially from the river to the sea, had been chanted, which people consider i think tenably when israel says it i think it's genocidal when palestine says it i think it has it has genocidal tone to it so geno genocidally toned language was being chanted on these college campuses so it's not that far fetched to then go well if it got more specific what if they just said it instead of like hinting at it what if they said it plainly would that be worth condemnation so in no to me that's another one where i was like this is just completely not true there's no way to say logically that it was baseless, a baseless hypothetical. But on the ad hominem, do you think that's an ad hominem or am I stretching it? Yeah, I I guess I would call it a low blow. Just it, it seemed distracting, even though I, I didn't have the full context for what that representative said. Um yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know that it's additive to the argument. Uh, it is added to his perspective and his bias, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Unless and unless he said it, and he doesn't assume that anyone would assume anything negative about that. Like you don't, if you're an election denying Trump supporter, there's no reason to de facto assume that's a bad thing. 
but I think he means it as a bad thing, personally. But then oh, there absolutely is... Mean, oh, uh, unquestionably, he means it as a bad thing. Okay, well, yeah, in that case, to me, I was like, then he's trying to get people who are in his tribe to be like, hmm, disqualify her on this yes. account. Yes, You know what I mean? I think Which is like, yeah. Plain. So that's, like, that's a low blow. That's like, it's a, it's a, you know, it's an academics version of a low blow, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but, and it wasn't baseless. It wasn't a baseless hypothetical. It was like, it was a, I mean, you could call it like a, a conjecture on a basis, but it had a basis. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, we've talked about this, I think on the Palestine episode. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I, I don't, I truly don't think everybody means genocide when they say that. I don't <laughs> and, think so either. And clearly there are some people who do. So it's yeah. Like, all it's, things can be true. It's in there. And then he said this, I thought was interesting. There is no debate at Harvard, MIT, and other research universities about whether the free speech absolutism that has prevailed since the middle of the 20th century should give way to speech codes negotiated by interactions with donors, governments, and the parents of favored groups of students. Now, at the end of the piece, spoiler alert, he comes out in favor of this, where it sounds right now like he doesn't, he thinks it's bad, but he comes out in favor of it. He thinks people... They're, they should have speech codes negotiated by former, at least alumni, because he himself is like in favor of more stringent speech codes. Um, well, that's it. I mean, maybe the distinction there is who's 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 determining the speech codes. But here it seems to be yeah. tying it to money again. Which, which is, is but isn't, which, isn't that why you donate? I, I mean, I know, like that seems like a very reasonable correlation to me. Um, yeah. Not that I, not that I think money should dictate no, oh no I, no i don't like it i just think it's typical yeah yes yeah. yes <laughs> yeah um yeah i think we're aligned on that one yeah yeah and then harvard he's like as though free speech absolutism is relevant to harvard seems insane to me um fire uh, as we mentioned before harvard gets the worst score ever in fires college free speech rankings and at least as far as i know i've looked for other people who rank this sort of thing they seem the most comprehensive in terms of like actually collating incidents as well as polling students is, you know what I mean? It's like a, it's a, it's a multi-pronged, it's beyond polling. It's a, it's like a, it's a multi-pronged attempt. I think they do a good job of being bipartisan. And and I was like, well, I, I don't know what you're talking about in terms of free speech absolutism, because that's not the atmosphere at Harvard. Now, maybe he, he, he went there in the nineties. He may be speaking towards lived experience as opposed to something more resembling current objective reality. But I just found that super strange. Because Harvard is not known for speech, free speech absolutism as, at all. There's been kerfuffles there about sort of opposition to sort of DEI like uh, vernacular or intersectional thought, and there's been uh, things related to pronoun use or whatever. So it was like, there's. Do you think that was true in his day in the '90s? I don't know. I'd be. I would be. I would not be shocked if it was more free speech friendly there then, because I think in the '90s, I would actually even say seven eight years ago free speech was like a bipartisan rallying cry it's something democrats republicans progressives hardcore conservatives far right far left libertarians literally everybody agreed on i think only in the past seven maybe eight eight to ten years has that become like there's been a schism where freedom of speech has kind of been referred to as like a conservative or like a even sometimes like a far right a rallying cry of the far right kind of thing um yeah, and I mean he references a Confederate flag. I think when when he was in school there, the yeah, Confederate flag um, yeah. being defended 
being put up by a student and then Harvard defending that that, that was a form of free speech. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know, in this moment, I'm I'm noticing myself as part of our journey together is, I think, learning and tracking our biases and growth and all the things. Um, yeah. I'm noticing as I read this and as just in this moment, being like more purely in support of free speech than I think I have in the past. Um, yeah. I, and I think part of that was, is my association with uh, you know, DEI and anti-racism and, and the idea that of being completely immersed in the idea that that hate speech can be a, for, a form of trauma and mm -hmm. re-traumatization. Sure. Um, and I, I think that's still true. And I, it's just a fascinating conversation to keep having. I mean, we had at least one episode, if not a two-parter on, on free speech a while yeah. back. And it's, it's, it's weird. It's like a conflict in me that I want to keep sorting through because I, I really do believe in healing and, and, um, but at the essence of that, I'm actually in this pretty long course with Thomas Hubel and spiritual healing journey. And, you know, a lot of what he talks about is, is like when we're, when we're triggered, it's, it's like some outer force meeting an unhealed trauma within us. Mm. And that's really where the trigger comes from. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I, theoretically, they would get to the point where we've done so much healing that we're no longer triggered by that external force. Yeah. Um, which would be in huge support of just total free speech. Um, yeah. Well, and it's, you can actually, it's nice to look at it that way. Because then you can look at hateful speech as like a very helpful, even the worst speech is a very helpful thing. Anything that, I mean, think about like how mad you are at the doctor who tells you you have cancer. I mean, that sucks, right? But it's super helpful. So when someone triggers something in you, like that's, I, I think it helps you get to a place of gratitude when you receive hateful speech. It's helped me over the past couple of years receiving quite a bit of hateful, direct hateful speech um, to know this, well, this is helpful. Like the parts of it that bother me, does it mean it's true? Does it mean it's just like I'm struggling with my like past, like poignant rejections you know, repeating themselves. And then therefore, am I worthy of those rejections? And, you know, so like, whatever, we all, we all spiral into those things. I want to say, I just advocate adamantly for people to purify their speech. Let everything you speak be edifying, even if it's destructive, that it should be ultimately edifying. Like I, like I condemn hate speech. And at the same time, I just, I don't want to ever hand anyone the reins or the weaponry to start being the people who decide what's hate speech or what isn't. Because no matter who is in charge, you're not going to be in charge forever. So you might think it's a great idea now, but give it give it four years, give it eight years, and then all of a sudden everything you say is going to be hateful. And then next, you know what I mean? I was like the the the, and it's not even just like oh a slippery slope that might happen. We've seen it happen time and again. We're watching it happen around the world right now. Like it's 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 in the funk. It's properly happening, and I just don't want it to happen around me <laughs> or anyone I anyone I know. I that's well said. That's that's. That's helping me sort some of this out, actually. Um, and yeah, similarly, I, I, at a personal and interpersonal level, stand against hate speech and basically harm. I mean, I think harm reduction is something we both generally agree on very yes. consistently. It's, you know, a triggering trauma, you know, it can be a kind of, of harm. Um, you know, and, and I don't know, the whole Confederate flag thing is interesting because it's not 
speech, like vocal speech, you know, it's yep. in the, in the, that almost feels different. Like, like interpersonal speech feels um, somehow like, like managed or controlled in a way that just hanging a banner that, uh, you know, has actually been discredited as a sort of cultural uh, heritage emblem and, you know, more, more of like a PR thing that came out later. Um, but the idea that when we think about belonging, you know, you show up on a campus where you're maybe you're already a minority, God knows what you've gone through to get there. Um, so, you know, to sort of face emblems that, that seem to speak against your nature or your heritage or, or whatever. Yeah. That, that feels even more alarming than even just direct speech and a direct speech is tantamount to, I don't know, a fist fight in the, in the yard or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the emblems are interesting too. Cause right. If you ban anything that makes people feel excluded or discomfited or some, you're like, Oh, that person has enmity against me. Then you ban a Confederate flag. And then 15 years later, you're banning black lives matter uh, banners or you're banning pride flags. Cause those are exclusionary of people who don't, aren't represented in any of those colors. Anything that re represents inclusion and exclusion in and of itself. Like, I don't want any of those, let all those people. And again, I think the Confederate flag is prettier. I just think graphically, I think it's a better graphic design. I don't, I, don't, I wish, I wish we could have, uh, I wish it didn't have its sordid history. Cause I just, I like it. I just like it. Oh, well, and I, I grew up with, I imagine we both grew up with the Dukes of Hazard and the General Lee and yeah I'm, I'm still well i grew up in the, like i told you i grew up in the 90s where like the confederate flag was like a more of a black thing than anybody else people like redid it in the red black and green and the, like wore black people wore those they were like carl Kanai cross colors i can't remember the cut was like new south i think and like so i grew up around black people wearing the confederate flag in red black and green they just reclaimed it same way as they reclaimed the n-word they're just like cool cool that's mine now taking it i'm culturally appropriating the culture that tried to enslave me which i am again it's a, it's a potent case um well, well i want to skip to bring us back to the article i want to yeah i want to take the liberty of skipping to the to the end to the spoiler alert because it's i think it's yeah. germane what you were just saying um and this part i found a little surprising if not alarming um yeah so i'm going to quote this one as as someone yeah. who has long advocated for more restrictions on hate speech on campus, this moment might provide the perfect opportunity for what another Harvardian, Derek Bell, called, quote, interest convergence, whereby enacting new restrictions on phrases like from the river to the sea and calling uh, Kathia's terrorist scarves will finally allow us to ban other forms of hate speech and fighting words. Yeah. So that to me, it's it's not even just the the sort of fear of the slippery slope you're describing. It's like, oh no no no, we're going to go ahead and use that as leverage to justify this. Yeah, which I I mean to me that's that's a horror show. That's like to me that's like, and this kind of happened after the hearings too. I was like, oh, okay, well what we should do out of this is really double down, and ex and I'm down for what they said, and we should all be like, okay, well hey, we believe in the absolute power of absolute power of free speech that's why it's 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 the first amendment it's in there right there in the first one it's very important it's fundamental in which case you got to go okay yeah we have to all do it. instead people were like nope <laughs> nope we've got to crack down on it. and this has really been i think a problem of the right um this is like my one of the least favorite things that ron DeSantis ever did 
uh, was he enacted sort of anti-hate speech laws, specifically ones targeting Jewish people. Now, I don't want Jewish people to be targeted by hate speech, but I don't want people's speech to be regulated. Keep it out in the open, first of all. Second of all, don't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's wacky to me to then like go, because then go, okay, cool. Like being glad that people kind of want to do it. So then you can do it for the stuff you want to do it. You're like, all right, you're revealing exactly the sort of malevolent tit for tat. I don't want you to be able to say what you say. As opposed to if someone called a kefia, I have a, I have a, I don't know if it's the, it's not the black color, but it's a different, I have a kefia in my closet. If someone called it a terrorist scarf, right on, let's have that conversation. I, I view every insult as an opportunity to have a conversation. I am wrong 90% of the time. A lot of those people who say those things don't want those conversations, but that's the opportunity always, always. Hate speech is always an invitation to examine beliefs, you know? So to me, I was like this, the article was full of a bunch of straw men, uh, related to that. And then it ended up there. Then I was like, okay, hold on a second. Like what's to the point where I literally was like, oh, I wish I knew this guy. Cause I'm like, what's going on? I mean, I thought this was cause parts of this article were so thoughtful, but then part of it seemed very thoughtless. And then I was like, you are you just are you just was this just something you wrote in like a three hour fury? You know what I mean? And then maybe spell checked it and pot posted up. Certainly possible. But to me, let's the one thing I wanted to draw back on the thing that I kept saying was like kind of a straw man. He kept saying these racist. He said I don't even know how many times these racist, repugnant, racist attacks against Claudine Gay. He this is a long piece. There is no quote. There is no screen cap. There was no, and he posted a bunch of different evidence for a bunch of points he was making. There's no evidence of any racist attacks against Claudine Gay in the entire piece at all. So to me, I was like, well, wait, now this is, listen, I know this could be an own straw man because I'm setting up that this is de facto the best argument for this case. That's not what I'm saying, but it is emblematic and similar to many other assertions. Examining just this, this one alone, I still have yet to see repugnant racist attacks in any at all let alone in any substantive way against claudine gay and i still haven't seen any and i was wondering if you've seen any because i've seen the accusation of it but at some point if i never see any evidence at some point i have to assume you're lying and i, I definitely by the end of the article i got to that point i was like i don't i just straight up don't think he's telling the truth here like say the only evidence he had is that it says she was accused of being a dei hire which is not in any way de facto an assignation, a racist assignation. I saw people making that exact assertion and then heralding the work of another black woman who should have been hired. And so I was like, okay, so then that has nothing to do with race. It's saying she was a DEI hire because A, she's into DEI, like her, her even her published work kind of inclines towards the, the ideology that buttresses DEI policies. And she was heralded as a diversity hire. So those things are just there, in which case we shouldn't be heard heralding diversity hires, period, could be a reason that has nothing to do with being like racist against her. And again, Danielle Allen uh, was the woman's name. Uh, she was a university professor who was also, uh, she's a poli-sci professor at Harvard, um, up for the same gig um, and was much ballyhooed as an excellent um, scholar who could have... Um, she has 50 scholarly articles to gaze 11. Um, she, but her, uh, her, she's more of a classicist. She specializes in like Greek and Roman, um, early modern American political thought. She's more of a, she's more, she's more old school. 
um, which doesn't is is would be probably lean towards conservatism as as opposed to progressivism, whereas gay ideology leans towards progressivism, which is associated with DEI. So then there's so many things that it could very tenably be with evidence, whereas racism has no evidence other than she's a black person. So then that that's my that's my big question. I was like, did you feel like in the article or have you ever seen anywhere? any evidence of racist attacks i haven't and i admitted in the beginning how, how how little research i've done especially in comparison to you so if you haven't found it not yet man i I've trust looked. there aren't many and i know I, I i imagine some people and maybe they've maybe we've gotten comments from our three listeners but um i imagine there are people who listen to some of the things you say and just just because you're not of the woke religion um might accuse you of being racist and other things um you oh i've been i've been called it multiple times i think it's hilarious but you've read more baldwin than i have and etc cetera, etc cetera. so <laughs> um so anyway that's some some credentializing of you just to say you're a damn good researcher you're at least quite thorough and you have your biases but when it comes to oh, research sure. i think you're actually really ferreting out all all as much as you can so um yeah i don't know i haven't seen it I think it's common. I am of a of a state of mind still, although it's wavering a bit, to to just chalk it up to what I know you don't really like uh, systemic racism as just a general like blanket. So yes. I think that's what's in play here. Just systemic racism is real. It was what this country was founded on. It's it's the sort of governing ideology of. Right. So then all attacks, Everything. all attacks on anybody for anything are therefore racist. Meaning if like a white guy gives you like a, a shake at McDonald's and it's the wrong flavor and you're like super pissed about it and you throw it in his face because you're like, I wanted a shamrock shake. It's only here for a month. I want it now. Then that is as racist as these attacks on Claudine and Gay. Because everything, if our entire, our entire society is systemically racist, then everything has to be racist. Including, of course, the invention of the idea that things are systemically racist, which means the ideology of systemic racism is, is in and itself race, systemically racist. Right? Because it has to be all-inclusive, right? It has to be everything. So in which case, then, the problem with that ideology renders all accusations of racism null and void, really, because everything's racist. So then, and if you're going to call something racist, it actually has to be, a sp it has to go above the line of systemic racism. I'm just saying, according to that ideology, which I don't ascribe, ascribe to, but I was like, if so, if all things are are innately racist because of aspects of foundation, uh, foundation of this nation, which I think was, I think it was secondarily racist, honestly. I think it was just pure, I think it was capitalist, really, more than anything. And they happened, they eventually stuck some racist stuff on top of it to justify their continued capitalism. Um, yeah. But that's just my, that's my point of view. Um, but, but. No, I actually case, agree with that. Yeah, that yeah. was the the reason to invent race, really. As a... Yeah, they were like, "Oh, let's let's make this let's make this count, let's make this really let's make it work it out." Um, yeah, before it's really more cast, I think more cast based and circumstance based. Um, and at some point, you're like, "Oh, if we can tie it to color, then we can." I mean, we might be able to crank this up a bit. But yeah, yeah that's a way to sort people. Visually. It is. I mean, it is. It really it is. It is. It's, it's very. It's industrializing. <laughs> it's industrializing discrimination. Way to go, human beings. But yeah, but that's my. So then, like. On that premise, 
like there's just no support for the there's no support for the argument really that these specific attacks were racist that the attacks against claudine gay were racist because then it makes a thing of like this is the i don't know this is a very like this is a right bias assertion but then it means you can't criticize black people for anything without somebody calling it racist which to me seems pretty racist because then it's like wait black people aren't perfect they're just like all the rest of us right with with all sorts of cohort problems here and benefits here just like every cohort does and they're i mean this is something i struggled with because i was woke as i was kind of woke at 12 13 you know and i was i used to say out loud i've said it in my life dozens of times i'm racist against white people i've said those words plenty of times um I'd like to think I outgrew it or evolved, but who knows? All, all progress is not positive. Uh, it could be a maladaptation. But once I actually had enough Black people in my life that I loved, I just stopped saying that because it was like, oh, there's a there's a weird like veneration or or idealization or a I don't know. It's a beautification. Like it's a it's a false idea of like this sort of like perfect this some like perfect species this perfect race the the better that supreme basically i had black supremacist ideology um and then you just know and love people who are black and then you're just like oh yeah you're just yeah you're janked up you're as messed up as the rest of us you're you're we're all we're all just damaged in actually very similar ways most of the time it really just varies by degrees or by notation or you know what i mean um but yeah that's that, that's ultimately is where this this entire argument that he presented or has been presented elsewhere it puts us in a place where it, it's just a starting to hurt the word racism where it doesn't mean anything anymore. And then B, I, 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 I just can't, this is the problem, Andy. I can't rationally make it about, it doesn't, I can't make it balance. Like it, I go, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe. And then, it, but it always ends up falling out of my hands. Yeah. I think that's a, it's worth dipping back into that larger discussion. Yeah. Um, I think in your example, I mean, I think even in systemic racism, we're not, we're not sort of flattening everything in your example, the, the guy at the counter was white. Yep. I, I think the systemic racism example would be that, no, he's black. You just, you just genuinely, or like he made a mistake. Um, or even like maybe you just didn't even like you ordered something you changed your mind you didn't like the flavor and then you threw it out yeah him. yeah the question i guess i'm often asking is and and, and this is where it, it's it's tricky because you can't find unless we're actually in a metaverse like yeah the, we have one of those machines where you can actually like go on different tracks of the metaverse yeah play them um, all out the question is like oh would the same thing have happened if that person was white um, yeah and but so that's, that's the question i'm holding yeah. here and i and i think it's great that you've brought in well gee we have some kind of the closest thing we can have to to sort of corollary evidence which is like oh there was another president yeah. a, a female president in a college who was white uh that was that was in this yeah and um, she was gone in a week in a week dude so in some ways i was like don't bring up racism because then you gotta be, you have to then, you have to go, wait a second, was this racist against white people? Why did the white lady get fired immediately? And it took, it took you a month and a half to, to fire the black lady. 
Well, and who's and are we talking about? Is anybody talking about the white lady? No, she was smart. Listen, honestly, I think she was smart. <laughs> she got out of the way. She was like, "This is not going down." I think in some ways, like Gay didn't read the writing on the wall, or she thought they would protect her more, or she thought she was like, "Well, no, I'm going to stand by it." And hey, and honestly, for her comments to Congress, good for her. Good for her for standing by that. I, I stand by her comments. I'm okay with that. I don't like them. But I, I stand by her right to express it that way. I wish she would be, she would apply that across the board. And I wish Harvard, she didn't preside over Harvard when they had hate-based discrimination, not allowing vaccinated students to, to, to come on campus. So I was like, we can't say that she's not hateful in her own way and participate in hate-based discrimination. Um, so, but right on, she, I, I think for her not to bow out, but when she didn't bow out, they definitely were like, okay. Let's see what we can find. Now, obviously, nobody found anything on this ding-dang MIT lady. I don't know what impeccable record she has that for some reason, I don't know how she just like dipped out of the way and didn't get hit with any of the crossfire on this at all. That's a fascinating episode unto itself. Someone's yeah. out there is going to be like, oh, she's probably Jewish, dude. You know what? Stop it. Stop it. You're free to say that, but stop it. Well, and I think one thing you're, I think you're representing, um, which we could say is, pro-human and anti but anti-woke is is that this can be dehumanizing like like not um well i mean the woke argument is often like oh they, like she has to be perfect basically that's that's, yeah. that's like the woke argument that's what people said about obama yeah um oh my gosh not perfect i didn't even like him dude i like i thought alan key should have won the senator race <laughs> Do you oh, remember really? that, by the way? We were in Chicago at the time. And oh, I, was, I was, I volunteered for that. It was yeah. so funny because Obama was such a shoe in He sent us out to volunteer for other candidates. And he had like 97%. Yeah. I, I liked Alan Key. I was an Alan Keyes fan. Oh, I remember the, and I remember at the time, too, I thought it was super funny because um, uh, like Obama was dinged for how not black he was. Just like color, there was colorist, like whatever that colorism essentially going on where they were like, oh my gosh, yeah, the light skinned brother, he's going to, he's the shoe in basically accused like him winning because of racism so it was hilarious to me when he was like he's the first black president i was like what i was like it was, it was like it was like two years ago that people were like he's like the whiter black man who won i was like people's memories are and i wasn't even into politics but i was like people's memories are so short dude i mean i think colorism is asinine obviously um again people are free to express those <laughs> free speech man say it say it if you want to but i'm gonna argue with you alan keys was the I guess I, I was sort of just giggly about the idea of Alan Keyes. My understanding was like, yeah. he's the guy they send in when they know they're going to lose. Oh, funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he ran for president. I think like, twice. Yeah. With that, with that, that feels like... That's bad. That feels like an interesting job to have. You're like, oh, I got this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're <laughs> like the... You're, yeah, the, the, the in boxing, they call it tomato can. Okay. You're like, you're the fighter who's in there pretty much to lose to this hot new hot new prospect. He was like the did tomato you? can. But he, but he did great in the debates. He was great. Like it was their debates were actually really good because Obama's is a smart guy. Alan Keyes is super smart. Yeah. Their, their debates were great. I think it was the first, like uh it was like the first was Senate they ran for Senate. It was like the first senatorial debates I ever watched in my life. Well, so I want to close the loop on this this thought about yep. dehumanization. And I yeah. I think one of the things you're getting at is um if there's not direct evidence of of racist you know, direct comments or, or I don't know, any, any other trace of it, then we're all we're left with is the assumption 
that is what's behind all the other things that come to the surface is yeah. underlying racism. You know, I guess I'm just holding this question: like, is is that enough itself dehumanizing? Because then it, it assumes yeah, yeah. that, yeah. like, the only reason people are engaging in this way is is racism. Um, yeah. Well, and the only reason everything about you is is because you're black. It reduces someone to an identity. Then it's like you can't have any problem. Like what? Let her be a fully functioning human, a messed up human who played, who plagiarized, or just was in hour thirty six with no sleep and was just like, oh, whatever. It's the same basic game, but I'm not really quoting. You know what I mean? I don't know. She, I don't know if she did these things malevolently. She might have just been tired. Like she just she made some rookie mistake. She was sloppy. She was, you know what I mean? All these just like normal reasons. She lost the race, and her roommate rolled the blunt. And... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and next thing you know, she was like, oh dang, I got to turn this in. We don't know. You know what I mean? And so to then just be like you to assume that it, it, she's listen, Dr. Claudine Gay would be classified as a black woman. She might be super into being a black woman. It's it's cool. It's an interesting, vaguely interesting part of her visual characteristic. But it's race was if race was invented as an organizing principle to dehumanize, then what are we? What, that can't be the most important thing. So when there's all this evidence of all these other elements, plagiarism or ideology then you're just like, it can be about those things. But it's very, and we have evidence of those things. So then why would we focus on the thing we don't have evidence of? That seems dehumanizing to reduce someone to an identity. Again, especially someone as accomplished and with as extensive a record as as she has. I don't know, maybe she likes it, but I, I would actually think in some ways it's probably annoying to her. Well, and the other, it's odd to me. I guess another question that's emerging for me is just, if we're gonna like, focus on this huge assumption of racism we're not we're not talking about sexism yeah uh, I, I haven't looked i have to assume most of harvard's presidents have been men over the years i would assume a dominant percentage um so i don't know like why is why isn't that an equal or at least significant part of the narrative of yeah you know anyway. another thing all right let's so, do it let's do it let's bring it in for a landing yeah, I, I, does that get through? I don't know. If, I don't even it, know if we got through half of your comments. Oh, there's easily fifty six other uh, straw men's uh, ad hominems uh, and outright uh, assertions. But hey, anyone, uh, go read the article for yourself and tell me I'm full of crap. I'm always down for that. I don't take it. He really, he really is, folks, and I'm gradually gaining the courage to do so myself. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. Thank Andy. you for this opportunity to dive into this subject more deeply yeah uh, thanks for helping me figure it out so you know we always like to loop back and answer answer the question um was dr claudine gay taken down by racism i'm i'm offering a qualified yes because i my understanding is that she resigned and I know there's, I don't know, whatever, probably political maneuvering there and whatnot. Um, yeah. But I, I do believe that, um, I do believe that institutionally, especially in old guard institutions, we, we haven't done enough to, uh, to actually look at squarely and address racism 
at, at an institutional level. And so my qualification is that I don't, I don't think she was taken down. Like it's, 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 it's not like that there's evidence that that was the clear thing that, that was showing up. But I, I do personally believe the reason this is a hotter topic and was more inflamed is related to her race. And I think the heat probably got to be such that she protected herself. Um, and I think that protection is rooted in, in a history of racism. And that's why I also bring up sexism because I, I feel like if, if that theory is true, it's just totally a theory, then it would almost be equally rooted in her, in that we, in, in that we don't, we also don't elevate and, and, um, we also haven't addressed enough, I think, of historic sexism. Oh, interesting. Well, like the thing you related to talk about harm, then in some ways she would view both of those things as traumas. Being black and being a woman in and of itself would be her trauma if she finds those things triggering, right? Because if she was completely clear on them, she those things would have no effect upon her. She'd be like me. She'd be like lone politeness. <laughs> yes. So that's that's my yeah. Yeah, yeah. theory. And, and it's like something to be careful about. Because assuming people yeah. have trauma related to their visual identities, yeah, you know, in some ways is is I don't know. In some ways is reasonable, but in other ways is is probably dangerous to ever assume. Right, I know it's hard. We're human beings, right? I mean, every time you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. Um, and I, since since there's no evidence, I can't as a as a as a rational nerd. I was like, I have to say no. Uh, innocent until proven guilty. Um, but I wish her all the best in her uh, million dollar a year uh, professorship. So big ups. As do I. Dr. Gay. All right. Love you. Big, big ups, Andy Swindler. Love you, man. Talk to you soon.